He is alive. Wow. Isn't that great news? Amen. Are you excited about this week? <laughs> Captain of the ship. Isn't this great? Isn't this fantastic? I'm so excited, Suzette. Thank you for your team and, and all the work that they have done in preparation of today. And as I mentioned earlier, um, Jesus invited the children to come so that he could teach them about the kingdom of God. And that's what we're doing with Vacation Bible School. We are inviting the children to come so that we can teach them about Jesus and his kingdom. And we have an incredible opportunity, responsibility, and privilege over these next days. And as we conclude our service here uh, in the next um, minutes, then we'll take time to offer a prayer for all of you that have volunteered and for the children that will be coming as well. As we enter into our Summer Passages series and continue on with that, I was drawn to this passage. This is going to have to go right here for now. Um, I was drawn to the Acts 2 passage. It focuses on baptism. It, it talks about the breaking bread together in the Lord's Supper. So it was a, a natural passage for us to consider today. But as I studied and reflected on this passage, I kept coming back to, to trios. Famous trios. Are, are you aware? Do you remember some of the famous trios of life? How about the three musketeers? How about the three amigos? For our children in those wonderful growing up days, the, the three little pigs, the three bears. For those that are a little more grown up that enjoy music, the three tenors. There's trios all around us, and we're so familiar with them. Let me give you a, 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 some, some clues in, in the first one or two of each of these trios, and I'll bet you can finish them. If I said breakfast, what would you say? Lunch and dinner. If I said snap, crackle pop. If I said Luke, Leia, and Han Solo, yeah. If I said uh, Huey, Dewey, and Louie, right? There's trios all around us. What about uh, the good? Yeah. We just focus on the good today, right? And for all you Sooner fans out there, how about Bud, Barry, and Bob, right? There's trios all around us. And even in our faith journey, there are trios that, that just come alive and teach us so much from Scripture. Now, we don't know exactly how many there were, but there were three gifts. So we talk about the three wise men, right? The three magi that came to see Jesus. What about the inner circle of Jesus? Those apostles, Peter, James, and John. Exactly. What about the Trinity, the great trio of all? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. What about, as we talked about recently, what about the great commandment? To love God, to love others, to love ourselves. Today I want to begin with, with the Great Commission. You see, I think the Great Commission has a trio in it as well. Now, one of the great contributions of, of Judaism, of the Hebrew people, and of, of Christianity as it continues into the New Testament is the idea that history is linear, that history has a purpose, it has a direction, it is on the move. And prior to really that, that contribution from the Hebrew folks, history was simply considered to be a cycle. A cycle of the seasons, a life cycle in which there, the history was really no, going nowhere. It was just a cycle of things. 
And I, I want to tap in today. The Great Commission is, is cyclical, but it's a part of our effort to go. There's a, a linear and a cyclical part of this Great Commission. So turn with me to Matthew 28. We're going to begin our, our scripture journey there today. And I think what we'll discover here, and, and you know this word, the, the first word is as you go, as you are going, the verb indicates action, and really the verb indicates an understanding that if you are a follower of Christ, you are going. So in some sense, the word go is not a command, it's an assumption, it's an expectation that you are already going, and as you are going... That's that, that going is that linear part. We're going, we're moving forward, we're maturing, we're growing, we're a part of the kingdom of God that is coming and will be in its fullness one day. But along the way, there's this activity of life that we're to be a part of that in some sense is cyclical and invites us to be a part of this great life of Christ as we go and as we move forward. So as we read, we begin in verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to his disciples before he departed this earth, and he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, or as you are going, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's that great trio of understanding of the Trinity. Teaching them, those that are made disciples, to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Now let's look at our diagram and see if we can begin to understand this. As we are going, we look at red at, at heart, becoming a new person, a, a new creation, being born again, as Jesus told Nicodemus. And that first step as we go is to make disciples, is to proclaim and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. To, to tell people about Jesus, about their lostness, their, so that they can be found, so that they can receive the gift of eternal life. This idea of going and making disciples means that we're to go and to, to cause, to make, to tell, to convince, to persuade. Now we have become so fearful, and rightly so, of the word coercion. I don't believe that, that anyone should be coerced to faith. But in, in giving up and saying we don't coerce people, which is a great thing, we have forgotten that we're called to persuade, to be persuasive, to be able to share our lives and our story and to tell the message of Christ in a way that persuades people, that, that draws people to know Christ. And so the first act that we're called to is to go and to make disciples. And then as someone becomes a disciple... That first step, that first step of obedience, that first outward act of faith is to be baptized. In our Baptist tradition, we follow this model very well. In fact, I would say set the example for all those around us in saying that you come to faith in Christ first and then you follow him in, baptize, in, in baptism. We talk about believer's baptism in our tradition, that you come to faith in Christ first as a believer, and then you follow him, you obey him in baptism. Belief in Christ, being made a disciple is first. And then as an act of obedience and response, 
you come and are baptized again in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, according to his plans, his purposes. You submit to him as Lord and as Savior of your life. That's what it means to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But baptism is also a picture of a couple of things. Baptism is that, that act of faith, that outward act of faith that welcomes the person into the body of Christ. It's the outward symbol that says, I'm now a part of the, the people of Christ. I'm a, a disciple, a follower of Christ. And baptism becomes that, that, if you would, initiation. Baptism doesn't make you saved. You're already a disciple. That's that inward spiritual event of inviting Christ into your life and of being saved and redeemed. And then that outward act of faith and obedience is baptism that marks you and that shows you and professes to all that you are a part of the body of Christ, the church of Jesus. We are to be to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then continuing on this idea of teaching, teaching the word, teaching the scriptures, teaching others, not just to, to know it as fact, but to observe. To observe, I think, has a couple of, of meanings in this text. First of all, teach to observe. As we're teaching folks, especially our children, especially new believers, we teach them by example. And so as we teach the word in the scriptures, we say, not in a, in a, in a prideful way in any way, but as humbly as we, we say, now observe the followers of Christ as they live this out, as they, they show you how to love others and how to, to offer their lives sacrificially to others. Observe. And of course, observe has that second meaning, not just to watch attentively, watch for example, but to obey continually. We teach so that we might observe, so that we might obey, so that we might practice the teachings of Scripture. Now turn with me to Acts chapter 1, because again, this is, this is Matthew's expression of this great commission of what it means to live the Christian life. Before you change the slide, Phil, let, let me draw this circle around. So when I become a disciple, when I am made a disciple, when I pray to receive Christ, then I am baptized, and then I am taught, because I know that I've got to grow and mature in my faith, and so I've got to be taught in the scriptures. And part of that teaching is to learn to, to obey and to follow Christ, so that what? So that now I can be a part of God's work to make disciples. And so as I'm taught to observe and to obey, now I am the one, as part of the body of Christ, I'm the one that's called to go and to make disciples. And as I make disciples, I teach and, and lead them so that they would be baptized. And then I'm a part of their journey of being taught so that they might observe and so that they too might be obedient to the, to the life of Christ. So that why? So that they too can go and make disciples so you see, the Christian life is certainly linear. We're moving forward to eternity, but it also we're a part of a, a grand cycle of life in which not only are we being made a disciple, but we are also making disciples and leading them to faith in Christ so that they might be baptized, so that they too might be taught to observe, so that they too might follow and make disciples of others. Now we turn to, to Acts chapter 1. And again, Luke and Acts go together. Um, Acts chapter 1 is, is Luke's version of the Great Commission. So we look at Acts 1, and we see in verse 7, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the world. So you, you see the connection here? As you are going, Matthew says, Luke says, as you are going, be my witnesses. And as you're going to places like Jerusalem, as you're going to places like Judea and Samaria, and even as you're going to the, the uttermost parts of this world, you are going to be my witnesses. Now look what Luke does as we turn over to chapter 2. 2, again, tells the story of, of Pentecost, and, and Peter is being a witness. He's preaching and proclaiming the good news of Christ and as, we had, as was read earlier, just a few minutes ago, look at verse 37. Peter was going out and being a witness. And what did the crowd do? How did the crowd respond? In verse 37, the crowd said, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter, what shall we do? You've witnessed to us, and, and now we want to know. Now look at verse 40. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Now, what should we do, Peter? Peter's response, be saved. Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized. And that day there were added 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now we have another, we have another graph here. I think this is what Luke would say. What is our call to, to live out and to be Christians and, and to be Christ? Our call is to go and to be witnesses into the world and to proclaim this message of being saved, of being saved from this perverse generation and world. And so how do we go about being saved? Luke would say, well, the first thing to do is to receive God's word. A few verses earlier, I think in verses 38 and 39, Paul says that, the, uh, excuse me, Luke says it this way, repent. You've heard God's word. So what does it mean to receive his word? It means to repent of your sins. It means to, to turn the, from the path that you were walking to go a new direction, a new way of life in Christ Jesus. So receive God's word. Well, as, as we receive God's word, then what's the next step? Well, the next step in this cycle of life is that we are to be baptized. We're to be baptized, again, in the name of, of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Again, it's this, this outward act of obedience that, that affirms what has already been done inside of your heart. Again, baptism is, is a beautiful picture of cleansing, of, of being washed. And we would say the Spirit of God has already come and has washed you from within. And baptism now is that beautiful picture of, of you being washed on the outside to show and to symbolize that washing on the inside. But, but it's, it's so critical and important that we are, are obedient to that. Both Matthew and Luke is a part of their, their understanding of what it means to, to be a Christian and a disciple of Christ is first to be made a disciple, first to receive God's word. But then that step of obedience, showing that cleansing outwardly, professing that, but also is that step to saying, I am identifying with the body of Christ, with the people of God, and hearing the stories of, of people come to faith in different cultures and in different places, especially in places where the, the Christian is persecuted. There, there aren't really nice churches with beautiful baptistries that, that are inside closed walls. No, when you become baptized, you did it at the local river or at the lake. 
And all the community would gather and all the enemies of the church would gather so that they could identify who the new Christians were, so that they could persecute them. Church baptism is a critical part of our our profession of faith in Christ and of being obedient and identifying with the people of God. So we're baptized and then we're devoted. We're devoted. Paul says, or Luke says, that, that we have to be devoted. We're devoted to God's people. Well, what does that look like? Well, he continues on there in verses um, 41 and 42. And in verses 43 through 47, he, he describes that devotion and what it uniquely looked like in the early church. But let's just take a few moments and, and look and see what, it, what Paul says, we're, excuse me, Luke says we're to be devoted to. First of all, to the teaching, to the apostles' teaching. Now remember, the apostles in the early church, that they lived with Jesus. They walked with him. They saw his miracles. They, they heard his teaching. And, and, and Luke is saying, you need to listen to the apostles' teaching and commit yourself to the teaching, to observe the teaching, to obey the teaching. Are you devoted to the apostles' teaching today? Well, Brother Wade, if, if there was an apostle here, we'd certainly obey. Well, well church, that's what Scripture is. Scripture is the, the inspired word of God that, that the apostles... The apostles wrote their teachings and what they had observed and that we are called to continue to study and to follow and to obey and to observe that teaching. Are you devoted to his teaching? Are you devoted to the fellowship, to the fellowship of God's people, the community of faith? You share together a unity with God's people and his church, sharing with one another as there is need. That was what was so radically different about the, the early church community. When someone in their midst had a need, the church rallied around and made sure that that need was taken and, and met. And even today, the church continues to act in that way. When a member of the community of faith is hurting, the rest of the members of the body come alongside to bring comfort and nurture and to restore that member of the body. Are you devoted to the fellowship of Christ? To the body of Christ? Are you committed and devoted to the breaking of bread? Now notice that the, the scriptures tell us that the early church was faithful to go to the temple daily to pray and to worship, but that they also were faithful daily to go into each other's homes and to break bread together in their homes. We have several expressions of that other than just friends and, and Sunday school classes and life groups just said, hey, let's get together for lunch in a, in a home, in a restaurant, and sharing their lives together. But we have opportunities more formally with our summer suppers where, where women have gathered and just met uh, once a month during the summer to, to enjoy fellowship together around the table. Our dinner with friends ministry is an opportunity to, to, to get you into homes and to get you around tables together with one another and to share and to break bread together with families. And certainly the implication and the understanding is that not only were they breaking bread and sharing meals around the table, but they were sharing together in the Lord's Supper with one another. Finally, you committed or you devoted to, to praying to praying with each other, to praying to God. Prayer is, is an act of faith. It's an act of trust. Prayer is an act of dependence upon God. Prayer is an act of intimacy with God. But it is also an act of community and fellowship. Prayer is an act of intimacy with one another as a part of the, the body of Christ. 
If you want to grow close to someone, if you want to grow close to a community, a small group community, gather together in genuine, authentic prayer for one another, for this church, for our community and for our world. And as you commit to doing that with each other, you will discover that it brings you together in a, in a depth of intimacy and relationship that you've not known in other examples and opportunities. Prayer. Are you devoted to prayer? Prayer to God and prayer with each other. The last or final trio that I'd like for us to examine and to look at simply comes from our mission statement. I believe our mission statement will appear here on the board. The mission of First Baptist Church. God's mission for us is to love people wherever they are and to teach them to live as followers of Jesus Christ. Do you see how our mission comes alongside of, of the Great Commission, how it comes alongside of, of Luke's expression of what it means to be saved and devoted as a fellowship of faith and community of faith. This is done within the context of being a Christ follower. As Christ followers, we are called together in this church to love other people, to love people wherever they are. Wherever they are refers to people wherever they are geographically. We are still called to go to go even to the remotest parts of this world, we're also called to go here in our home, in our community as well. We are called to go. But this is not just a statement of loving people wherever they are geographically. It's a statement that says we are called to love people wherever they are emotionally, wherever they are relationally, economically, intellectually, wherever they are spiritually, we are called to go and to love them. As followers of Christ, we are called to love others why? So that we can teach them the Word. So that we can allow them to observe the Word of God alive and active within us. We love people and we teach the Word of God so that they can see what it means to be a follower of Christ in this place and in this culture. The purpose of all we do is to love people and to teach them the Word so that they too might become a follower of Jesus Christ. We're called to live the journey of life and faith together, to share that with one another, to share that in community with each other. Again, you can see how each one leads into the other. We love people so that we might teach the word, so that we might together live the journey, so that we might invite others to receive Christ and to be a part of this community of faith, of Christ followers. Today, We've baptized two of our children, two of our children as they have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, as they have made allegiance to him and given their life to him. Church, they are disciples of Christ and they are now part of this body of Christ. We are called to love and to teach them still and to walk with them as they live this journey of life and faith together. And now in these moments, we prepare to break bread together, to break bread with each other, just as the early church did 2,000 years ago today. Breaking bread together is an expression of our devotion to our Lord Jesus Christ, but it's also an expression of our love and devotion to each other as the body of Christ, as followers of Jesus Christ. We call this the Lord's Supper. It was shared by Jesus with his disciples 
And Jesus said that those who would come after him would share it as well to remember and to proclaim his name, to proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes again.